Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the That's What She Said podcast. My name is Alexa Dat. I'm here with producer Kyle. We are in Midtown Manhattan, and we've got a special guest here for the hour with us, former NFL quarterback and current broadcaster for Bleacher Report and the NFL on CBS, Chris Sims. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for being here. No problem. So it's been a wild and wacky week in sports, right? Right. And we wanted to get into kind of some of the cool sports stories with you because you have an awesome opinion on most of the things you talk about in sports. Well, thank you. And you're young and people can kind of relate. So I wanted to ask you about a couple of things. Cool. Let's do it. Rob Gronkowski decides to go on a cruise to the Bahamas. Right. 2,300 total passengers, 700 were there for Gronk, so right. about 1,600 were possibly completely unprepared for this. <laughs> Would you go on a Gronk cruise? Uh, no, I wouldn't go on a cruise no matter what. Uh-huh. I don't care who's on that cruise, okay. uh, so that's not happening. I guess I just don't trust being out in the open water of the ocean. It's cruise, so. No, it's fun. No. I've been on one. Nope. Uh, um, yeah, I'm not doing it anytime soon, uh, but the Gronkowski factor is tempting, but no, I'd rather stay on a continent with Rob Gronkowski than be in the ocean with him. You don't think it's bizarre that he decides to do this and nobody really criticizes him and it's like everyone loves Gronk. Go ahead, go for it and that's kind of a thing. Well, I I think that's the nature of the NFL in general because if you're performing, you're pretty much allowed to do whatever you want. Teams, uh, coaches, they're not going to care as long as you're doing your work on a day-to-day basis. He does do that. Of course, I worked in New England. Uh, He's as dedicated as as it comes. (laughs) It's his time and their turn. Players are off right now. He can do whatever the F he wants to do. I don't know if you're allowed to swear. Oh, on you're this allowed to. Yeah, great. We've He's allowed to go. do whatever the fuck he wants to do right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so good for him. The crazy thing is, is I'm surprised the NFL let it go just because of the gambling stuff that's allowed and in that was a big story. Right. Which last year, if you remember, with like Tony Romo tried to do the fantasy combine or whatever in Las Vegas. Yeah. And they put the kibosh on it. So my critique of that whole thing was be the NFL again showing hypocrisy and like you're allowed to do this, but you're not allowed to do that. I, I don't understand where they fall with that stuff all the time, but uh, I'm a huge Gronk fan. It's going to be hard for uh, me to say much negative about him. I don't have any problem with him doing it. I think right. it's a cool idea. I have two issues, though, if I were a Pats fan. Yep. One, if he gets hurt, that's a huge problem. Right. And it's a big liability. Yes. Um, and the other one is if you're just an NFL fan in general and you're looking at how the league and fans criticize guys like Cam Newton for right. dabbing and handing balls off to kids in the stands. Right. And then you've got Rob, who's kind of the flip side of the coin, able to do whatever the fuck he wants. Uh, yes. It's uh, There's kind of a, there's a little bit of hypocrisy there. I totally agree with and, you. And that's a problem. Yeah, I agree with you. First thing, just on the injury stuff, mm-hmm. hey, guys have to live their life. I mean, Tom Brady's skiing. I just read the other day. He's up in the Colorado mountains. So yeah. that's more dangerous than Gronk partying on a cruise boat. Yeah. Uh, what was the second part of that there? Uh, Cam. Oh, and, yeah, the camp. Well, yeah. I think that's a great point. I haven't heard anybody say that, actually. Well, I think that flies into the racism topic. I'm sorry, sure. but that's no. where I would go with that. Of well, it's funny, it's funny you mentioned that because right. friend of the show, Prince Mukamara right. and Charles James had a back and forth on Twitter about this saying, oh my, you know, this Gronk cruise and then Prince goes, could you imagine if it was Cam right. or OBJ? Right. We'd, people would be up in arms oh, about Oh, these it. guys are out of control. They're loose cannons. Right. How can we trust them? Uh, yeah, it's it's a bunch of bull crap. It really is. Uh, my argument, even with the Cam Newton thing, just to, to add to this conversation, you know, what if Cam Newton acted like Tom Brady did after he 
scores a touchdown. Like you've seen Tom Brady get the quarterback sneak. He scores a touchdown. He gets up. He spikes it. Yeah. He like yells at the fans. You especially if it's on the away team, he yells at the fans like yeah. you know f you or whatever else. Yeah. What would people do if Cam Newton acted that way? I mean, this guy was smiling, acting like he had a Superman shirt, and then giving a football to young kids, and we were acting like it was the worst thing we had ever seen. So yeah. uh, I'm with you. A total hypocritical bullshit. Yeah, it's a little, uh, it's a little disconcerting. It is but, a little. I'm with, I'm with you. But listen, whatever you want to do on your own cruise, I guess is your own business. Especially if you're a fan of the Pats, if that's you know your way to go see him more than you've already seen him, because we haven't gotten enough Gronkowski. God forbid. <laughs> well, the one thing I'll say too, Belichick a bit more of a player's coach than people realize. Uh-huh. And you got to realize that you think about Belichick's history, right? He's dealt with some personalities. I mean, he dealt with Lawrence Taylor in the 80s right. uh, with no social media. So you can imagine some of those stories. I'd, if we do, if you have me on again for the next podcast, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you lots of Lawrence Taylor stories. But so he understands that you have to deal with these guys' personalities too. This is what makes Gronkowski great on the football field on Sunday yeah, because he's not enamored with the moment or the fans or the TV. He's just, I'm Gronk. Me play football. I want touchdown. I mean, that's what he is. When you were up in New England, you were a coaching assistant there? A, I was a bitch boy, yes. Okay. That's and what, what I was. does that entail? <laughs> I, whatever they wanted me to do on a daily basis, basically. But uh, I was the quality control coach. So I was in charge of like breaking down all game film for the opponent in the next coming week, right? So I would basically be a week ahead of the rest of the team usually. Uh-huh. Uh, so I had to do all those things for the offensive staff. And then I was uh, also responsible for making tapes of all the college uh, NFL prospects in the Northeast. So I kind of had like a double duty, but like I said, pretty much just bitch boy. Did you ever let any air out of any football? (laughs) No, I did not. Okay. Uh, No. uh, But you do have a strong take on Deflategate. Well, yeah, of course I do. First of all, Bill Belichick was the biggest rule follower I've ever been around in my life. Uh Like we would try to have like a master's pool, you know, you pick four guys that can win the masters. And if he heard that, he was going to put the kibosh on it right away. And he would send out a letter saying it's against the NFL CB yeah, my even though he was involved in Spygate. Well, yeah, Spygate, but I think there's a lot of there's a lot more depth to that. First of all, he wasn't the only coach in the NFL doing that at the right. time. It wasn't definitively in the rule book either. And he was doing it to the Jets to get back at them because the Jets had done it the year before. So Fair enough. I think there's a little bit of a, you know, we got to look at the whole situation. The flight gate, I look at it and go, yeah, it's only a Tom Brady issue. And I listen, I have a lot of respect for Tom. People get on me all the time because oh, you're so hard on Tom Brady. No, I have like three autographs in my house and I've been around a lot of famous sports people uh-huh. and Tom Brady is one of them uh, but in this instance yes he was wrong he took the air out of the footballs this is not a Bill Belichick situation this was Tom Brady the ball boys uh, do I think New England still would win four Super Bowls and have been in six yes I do but to, for people to say it's not a big deal it's like I was saying to your man here just a second ago uh, if it wasn't such a big deal we wouldn't have a high school football we wouldn't have a college football we wouldn't have an NFL football size of the ball matters you can manipulate it more and of course, you can throw it with better power and accuracy if the ball is smaller inside your hand. And I read that you said that them trying to reinstate the ball boys and equipment managers is basically them admitting guilt. Well, of course, I mean, 
Of course. Right. I mean, I mean, listen, everybody in the country knows Tom Brady took the air to the footballs, except for a little faction in New England. Right. Uh, and I live in New England. I live in Connecticut, technically, and I'm a huge New England Patriots fan, and I root for Bill Belichick. I've known him since I was a little kid, and I have great relationships with all those people there. But, of course, do you think a low-level employee for a major corporation, if he drugged the, the company name through the, the mud and the garbage for half a year i think they would be fired if they really did something wrong but this case they didn't do anything wrong they took their orders and of course they had to rehire them or reinstate them what were they going to do fire them so they could go tell tmz what really happened right so yes they're guilty he's guilty and unfortunately we're gonna have to talk about all this again in a few weeks because it's coming back up to trial do you think that Tom Brady is one of the top quarterbacks in the league right now? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, and I, you know, like, there where does a, he rank for you? Yeah, I think at the end of the year, I think I had him like three or four somewhere in that in that category. Um, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in football. That that is undisputable to me as far as just talent alone. Aaron Rodgers might be the most talented quarterback in the history of football. As a Redskins uh, fan, this year I was very well aware of that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Fortunately, well, yeah, I mean, you see, I mean, he's capable of winning games by himself, and yeah. that's a very rare thing. There's only been a few quarterbacks ever that can do that. Uh, but Brady's still playing awesome football. Uh, is he as good as he was back in 2007, 2006? No, but he's still very good. He has a motion and an arm that uh, it, it lasts the test of time. Like Unlike Peyton Manning, who I would bet you might be able to throw it harder than he can right now. <laughs> right now, uh, yes. No offense to you <laughs> and your rocket right arm. Uh, I'm a lefty, thank you. Uh, she's oh, a lefty. Uh, yeah. Lefty, Southpaw. like me. That's right. Uh, yep, but um, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Brady is one of the five, five, six best quarterbacks in football. I would argue that two years ago when they lost the Broncos in the AFC Championship game, if you remember that, when the Broncos went on and got killed by Seattle in the Super Bowl. Yep. I mean, that was where that year, 2013, and even the start of 2014, I said, I'm not sure Brady's a top five quarterback anymore. Mm-hmm. The Broncos, if you remember in that game, decided to say, hey, we'll stop LeGarrette Blunt. We don't think Tom Brady can beat us. And he missed a number of wide open Danny uh, Julian Edelman throws and other open receivers during the game. And there for a while, I would have said, no, he was not a top five quarterback. But he's one of the five greatest of all time. That's no question about it. And right now, he, uh, he's, he's fighting for that top five spot. There's a lot of young, talented guys that are very good right now in football. You were saying that one of the reasons you thought that he let the air out of the football was because he is insecure about his arm strength. Well, not necessarily about his arm strength, but his ability to throw the ball down the field with okay. accuracy. He was... Uh, statistically there in like 2009, 10, 11, 12, the, one of the worst or if not the worst thrower of the football like 15 plus yards down the field out of any quarterback in the game. Uh, yes, I worked there. I know that was a concern there. Uh, and I do think... I don't know this, but that's just my theory that he was yeah, just trying to find a little improvement as far as controlling the football, and this is what he resorted to. Uh, do I wish he didn't do it? Uh, of course, because like I said, I really have great... I, I was almost hurt by the Tom Brady thing because he was like an idol of mine. Right. So I was like, man, come on. Tom doesn't need to do that. I mean, he's awesome if the balls are bigger than normal, whatever it is. He didn't need to do it. We saw the Super Bowl against Seattle. The balls were properly inflated, and he played an unbelievable football game. Being around the Pats and their organization, you've been with multiple organizations throughout the NFL. Right. What's different up there? Do they have this winning mentality? Do you feel it? Do you feel the vibe when you get there that differs from other teams around the league? Yes, you do. You feel... 
for lack of a better phrase, maybe just a little more attention to detail, professionalism as soon as you walk in the building. I mm-hmm. mean, for, as soon as you walk in the building, first of all, when you walk in the building as a player for the New England Patriots, you have to walk by uh, Bill Belichick's assistant in their office. So that right away kind of sets the tone. You're like, oh, Bill's right around Bill's right around the corner there. Let me get into business mode. Yeah. So I think that's very important. But uh, of course, Belichick has done great things. So he has the respect of everybody in that organization. <laughs> Players bow down to him. And as I told you before we started, he's more of a player's coach than people realize. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a very intelligent man, and he knows it's a player's league, especially with free agency and the salary cap. So he makes sure those relationships are strong, uh, but he's also going to be brutally honest. And I think the biggest thing that separates them from all other organizations is their front office and their coaching staff are on the same page. Mm-hmm. Because Bill is the GM and the head coach, yep. and he does everything. And so they're all, they all know what they're looking for as far as building a team in New England. Uh, and I think that's, that's the big thing to me. There was a sign by my desk that always said, in my scouting department desk, that said, we are building a team. We are not collecting players uh-huh. just co- or just collecting players. Uh-huh. And that is so true to them. They're not always going to take the best player on the board or the sexiest guy. They have a formula as far as what they look for in certain positions, certain players. They stick to that. And that's the reason they're in the AFC Championship game every single year. Well, and what speaks to that is the roster of receivers every year for Brady. Right. Everyone's always questioning who he's going to throw it well, to, and they managed to find tons of people to throw it to. A great point, exactly right. And that goes to the point of he's not a great down-the-field thrower, so right. they're not going to go out on free agent and look for the top free agent receiver because they're going to go, well, Tom's not going to throw him the 40-yard go route. He's going to look for Gronkowski down the middle, Edelman, Amendola. Yes, they have a great system up there. One of their greatest strengths is the fact that Tom Brady's been in the offense for, what, 16, 17 years? I forget the exact years now. Yeah, that chemistry helps. That chemistry helps, and it makes everybody everybody else on the offense have to keep pace with him, and that is a big advantage they have because they go, oh, Tom has a list of audibles he can get to if something he doesn't like, so the young receivers, everybody is like, I don't want to disappoint Tom, and it makes everybody kind of up their game a little bit. Speaking of professionalism, Joanna Cespedes showed up to Mets training camp (laughs) this week. Showed up to spring training with a slew of awesome cars, right? Yes. Okay, so Sunday he showed up with a Ford F two fifty, right? Souped he, up Ford F two fifty, yeah. It was that thing Super was like a monster yeah. truck. Yeah. It was almost embarrassing watching him get out of the truck. It, it was, was like he couldn't reach the ground, so he had to hop down. He was going to go mudding and just do like crazy shit in Florida that I don't think you can even do. But he was prepared. If he's, he needed to go ready. up a mountain, he was ready to yeah, go. Right, got to get some alligators. Tuesday he rolls up in a custom slingshot, which I thought was actually pretty cool. That was the three wheeler one I yeah. saw, right? The motorcycle. That's crazy. I don't know if I'd feel comfortable with that on Neither the road. Neither do I. Well, okay. and As here's the biggest problem. As a fan, for sure, because if you roll over, right. what's you could, more, you're dead. What's more dangerous, Gronkowski's cruise or that that car? Oh, that, exactly. <laughs> it's got no doors and no roof. If, <laughs> if anything slightly bad happens... Well, and if you have a fan who's following too close, you get in a wreck. Anything could happen in Port St. Lucie. There's not too much going on, but there are now 1,500 fans down there who want your autograph, who want to see you, who want to say they saw you. Right. And if they try and chase you around through traffic, that becomes an issue. Yes. I mean, and I lived in Florida. Driving down there is crazy. It's crazy. Yes. Uh, He also had the Lamborghini and the Alfa Romeo. Right? Am I saying that right? Yeah, you're saying that right. Okay. Alfa Romeo. What is that car? I haven't that, seen it. Oh, it was like red and sleek and beautiful. It's and one huge. of the most beautiful cars I think I've ever seen. Who makes it? Alfa Romeo. It's the Alfa Romeo Competizione 8C. Man, I'm, it's, it's I'm a beautiful out of it. car. I, I don't even know up, that one. Do you yeah. collect anything? 
Uh, no, not really. What did you spend a big paycheck on? Something that... Uh, I like watches. Okay. Uh, like, the one I have on right now is a pretty little penny. Okay. Um, that would be probably the one thing I was kind of wasteful of. And I, I look back now and I go, man, I wasted all that money on that watch over there in my closet and I never wear it. Uh-huh. I mean, um, so that would be one thing I guess I would say I, I've wasted or at least... If I had money to waste to this point day, at this day and time still, that would probably be the thing I'd waste it on. Watches. Yeah, I like watches. They're they're a nice finishing piece to your sure. to your outfit. Yeah. Right. It completes the wardrobe. Yes. Who have you known that has spent an outrageous amount of money on crazy things? Oh man, I've known a lot. Uh, it's the NFL. I mean, come on. We we all spend money on outrageous things. Uh, I think the guy that jumps out to my mind right away would be one of my my best teammates ever with Dwight Smith in Tampa. Not a household name. Dwight Smith, if you remember back to like the Buccaneers Raiders Super Bowl, yep. he had two interceptions at the end of the game that he returned both for touchdowns. He's actually the only player in Super Bowl history to do that. Uh, but he would have been a guy that always had big time cash on him. Like he'd pull out a wad and you'd be like, damn, there's like 10 G's right there. <laughs> and he always had a fly fresh car. I mean, whether it was a Bentley, a Rolls Royce, whatever it may be, he was certainly one guy that I looked at that was like, and, and he's very smart and he still does well for himself. Uh-huh. So it's not like he's broke or anything like that just right. to add that to it but yeah he was a guy that wasn't scared his his motto was always i've been broke once right because he grew up in inner city detroit so he wasn't scared of it and uh yeah he was a little crazy with his money well which is why i think that mets fans when they look at these cars they can be excited about it because this guy is one of the guys on the team who's kind of a showboat and that's fine because he performed last year for that yes. but if he doesn't put his money where his mouth is that could be a huge problem for them this season if i'm a fan that would be the only thing i'm concerned about also him flipping over in this giant three-wheeled motorcycle <laughs> yeah, but other right. than that i think it's fun it's right. something well, to do I-, I like one of the things i read when i was sort of researching this for today he's not yeah he's driving around in flashy cars but he's not like rubbing it in people's faces I know when he showed up in the Lamborghini the story is that they were having waffles at the training camp and they were square waffles and he said that's unacceptable waffles are meant to be round he threw the keys to like a Mets assistant Mm -hmm. and said take my car here's money go to like Walmart or something and buy a bunch of waffle makers because I need round waffles right that's, it's a little bit divish, but it's also kind of funny. And it's like, here, I paid for... Th- now this kid is driving around Port St. Lucie in his car. Yes. First of all, that's got to be pretty scary for the kid driving around in a Lamborghini that's worth $400,000. <laughs> yeah. And then you're going into Walmart, buying a bunch of waffle makers. There's no trunk in this car. You're just driving them in the passenger seat yeah, and I showing hear up. I hear you. Uh, and uh, well, look, baseball money is a different animal than Guaranteed. football money. Yeah. It is exactly right. I mean, yeah. he's what did he sign? Three years, $75 million, yeah. right? He's got So he's $25 million a year. I mean, the best players in football are barely making that. So, yeah. uh, but if he wants to have fun, spend that money. Great. I think it's kind of cool. I mean, I love baseball. I'm a Yankees fan. Sorry. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm a tr- true, that's really my true diehard only team I root for in any sport just yeah. through and through. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Mets, they needed a little personality in my opinion. And I'm glad to see them get a guy like that, especially here in New York City. We have such a huge Puerto Rican, Cuban, Spanish speaking population. I think it's a smart move by the Mets as well to have them. I like that. Another weird story that came out this week was Kyrie Irving leaving Sunday's game versus Oklahoma City because of the bed bugs. Right. Have you ever experienced anything like this? No, I'm a neat, fr- a clean freak. Like, I, I wash my hands like a hundred times a day. Like, I'm really, I have Do no... Do you have sp- the Purell on you at all I, times? I am always putting it on. I don't uh-huh. have it on me, but I have no spleen, so I'm very immune system conscious. And uh, that would freak me the fuck out right there yeah. because I just want to be in a clean bed with clean sheets. I'm with them. I don't know if I would have been able to play the next day either because I don't think I would have been able to sleep in that room either. 
What was the spleen incident like? Uh, unfortunately, it's my claim to fame as far as my career. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was, you know, at the time, uh, it, it was crazy. I, I literally almost died in, you know, Raymond James Stadium there. Did you know the hit where it happened I on, know the exact hit. Was yeah. it the Al Wallace And you could hit? see, no, that was later in the game. Okay. Uh, if you Googled, like, Chris Sims' spleen and pulled up the images, you'll actually see a picture of the hit. I get sandwiched in between two guys. Chris Jenkins, who was a big nose tackle, like 350. Yeah. I was throwing the ball he hit me from behind and Thomas Davis who was in the Super Bowl playing with the broken arm he as I got hit in the back put his head right in my stomach like right where the rib pads don't really protect Mm -hmm. and at first I was just like holy cow I didn't know if I broke a rib I had like the wind knocked out of me times 20 like I the next play I couldn't even say the play in the huddle I skipped the ball to Joey Galloway who's wide open like 20 yards downfield I just couldn't even like muster up enough energy in my body to do it uh-huh. uh, game went on took a lot of hits it was a very hot day and I fainted at one point during the game in fact I went on a hard count like I know this is a long story. I'll make it quicker. Went on a hard snap count. My guard jumped off sides. But thank God, because literally as I was saying the count, like the curtains were coming down. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got to hand this ball off to Cadillac Williams. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to see anything. So I took a knee. They brought me in, got an IV, got the IV. I was like, okay, I feel a little better. I think I can finish the game. And I went out and finished the game and drove us on what I thought was going to be the game winning drive. They ended up kicking a 58 yard field goal to beat us, which was like the, I mean, rip my fucking spleen out right there. That's the dagger. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, but then the game's over. Uh, I walk in the locker room. I'm not even going to listen to Gruden talk. I went and laid on the table. They pressed around. They go, I think we should just go to the emergency room. Maybe your spleen go to the emergency room. Cat scan. I still have my uniform on. Cat scan goes down, like just past my stomach and down to my pelvis. They came running out of the room. They said, Chris, it's really bad. You're going to have emergency surgery. I had lost nine pints of blood. You only have 14 in your body. Oh my God. They brought my wife in to say bye to me because they were not sure if I was going to make it. Um, and obviously I made it, but that was a long road back to getting healthy and being normal again. What was that experience like for her? Uh, I mean, we had just had our first baby girl at that point, or my only baby girl. I have a boy, boy and a girl, nine and five, but my little girl Charlotte had just been born like three or four months before that. So yeah, that was not easy. And then of course she's dealing with that baby and then I became a baby to deal with too because I was incapable of doing anything for a little while. And they had to take your spleen completely out so you Complete, no longer have a spleen. Completely mangled, beyond repair. They tried to uh, orthoscopically go in because they thought maybe they could repair it. And what the doctor told me is that it was not even close to being repaired. And then I, so I have like a 10 inch scar right down the middle of my stomach. Wow. And they took it out. Yep. You're like operation. Operation, exactly. What's it like living without a spleen? Uh, just like the immune system is the big issue. Like okay. I have like a like. What does a spleen do? A spleen is yeah. all about fighting infection, disease. It's all immune related. It's basically a filter for your blood. Okay. Uh, long story short, mm-hmm. and yes, like I get cold sores now. I never got cold sores. I have a little one right here on my lip right now. Like if I like rub my lip too hard, I might get a cold sore. If somebody has a like the cold or the flu. Uh, man, I'm very susceptible to it. So it's just, and then I have to get vac- vaccinations every two years for the rest of my life. Wow. So that is really wild. Crazy, right? And then coming back from that, what was that experience like trying uh, to get back into the league? Really annoying just because I couldn't, like my core did not work the same. And mm-hmm. core is so important with anything athletically, especially throwing the football. And um, I could not throw normal at first. And I really basically, I took the next year off 
Uh, they put me on IR because I wasn't capable of doing anything worth the damn on the field. And I really went around the country, around Canada. I was trying to find somebody that could help me get back to normal. Finally found those right people. And that's when I went to Tennessee for two years and I was in Denver, but never really got the chance to play and show that I was normal again. Right. And so the perception became that I wasn't quite the same. And not to say I was totally 100% the same, I wasn't, but I was still very close. But I just, perception becomes reality after a while, and that's kind of what happened to me. You mentioned Gruden. While you went through everything, what was your relationship with Gruden like? I heard that you, yeah, know, you it, said the relationship was broken. Yeah, it was a little rocky there yeah. for at that point. Did I you mean, feel like he wasn't supporting you in you, your recovery? Exactly right, yeah. yeah. I was, I mean, the guy tears his ACL, and they give you time to heal. Uh, I was nine months after almost dying, and they wanted to cut me and get me out of the building. And yeah, I just felt like at that time, and we've since mended our relationship. I text him a few years, few years after and was just like, hey, man, whatever happened, I still have a lot better memories than you than the bad ones. So, uh-huh. uh, And I learned more football from him probably than anybody else in the history of my life too. But yeah, at that time, and I understand this is a business, but mm-hmm. he was trying to run me out of town. He did not want to have to pay me money. He knew I wasn't going to be able to play. And he tried to portray me as healthy to the media and just not doing good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, I couldn't throw the ball from here to the, the wall 10 feet away uh so yeah that became an issue and then it became yeah i had to play the game within the game to basically save myself for a year the owners finally stepped in and said get healthy you're going to be on the team don't worry and that's kind of how that story ended but yeah the relationship was not the same there for the next year or two did you ever see gruden treat any other players like that or do you think it was just an isolated incident uh, with you? No, yeah no i think uh I, to say treated exactly like that listen you're you're gonna any organization you're in you're gonna see coaches kind of run players out of town whether they feel they're healthy or not a good enough player uh you're, you're gonna see that like i said as part of the business i understood that i was just angry that i felt like he never sat me down to talk to me like a man as far as what was going on with my body and then uh, yeah, just how he was trying to portray me. He was kind of trying to play both sides of the fence. And mm-hmm. some of the people in the media started telling me what he was saying. And I was like, what? And I was like, you've been watching me. I can't, You have you seen me throw a spiral in three weeks? I mean, have I thrown nothing but ducks? Uh, but uh, it, it's just a brutal business. It really is. I mean, that's the football. It's what makes it great and horrible altogether. Do you feel like you had any sort of, have you had concussions in your career? Uh, yes. Um, Do you feel like you have any sort of, you know, I, CTE from anything that you experienced? I, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also was never under the impression that running into people that are 280 pounds was good for my head either. So right. that's where I'm a little like conflicted about this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I got concussions like from like stupid stuff outside of football. Like I got hit by a car when I was 13 and oh my like my God. front four teeth are fake and I have like 83 stitches in my face. Yeah. This beautiful face has over a hundred stitches in it. Jesus. Uh, I know I was a walking <laughs> idiot. Uh, I still am a walking idiot. Um, but uh, so I got a concussion there. Another instance when I was younger, got my bell rung in football, certainly. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, they'd have a hard time with me taking me off the field for a concussion. Like I would certainly lie to them to this day and be like, no, I'm okay. I'm fine. It was my shoulder. I'm fine. Like, and that's what a lot of players do to this, to this day and age. I wish they would just let everybody play football. Let's go back to old school football. Wow. Really? Kill receivers over the middle. Okay. <laughs> and we just sign a waiver that says, Running into people when you're gigantic people is not good for your brain. I recognize that, and that's why you're paying me a lot of money, and let's move the fuck on. Wow. Yeah. So you think that people should just admit that it's going to ruin their lives and go for it? Well, if that's what they want to do, yes, if that's what you want to do. Now, it doesn't do that to everybody. But I you mean, don't think that young kids, when they start out in the league, don't aren't fully aware of everything that could be a possibly, you know, 
affecting I, them I later on in life. I do think there are people like that. I don't and think they won't it, be educated and then we'll make this stupid decision and pay for it the, later on? I think you're, that's a very good question. I think 10 years ago that might have held true. I mm-hmm. think within the last five or six, I don't know if that holds true anymore. Um, so uh, I, I guess, yeah, I, you're right. There's people out there that certainly did not realize what they were doing to their brain. And I mean, you see some ex-players that played in my dad's era. They're mm-hmm. punch drunk. It's like talking to like Evander Holyfield. You're like... The lights are on, but nobody's home. Like, yeah. uh, he's not really processing this very quickly. But then yet you meet other guys who are sharp as a tack still. And uh, so I I just like it the way it was. Like I said, I'm, I'm old school that way. Uh, I understand it's dangerous. I think we should still try to protect players as far as on the field, calling penalties, things like that. But like the lawsuits and all that, I think has gotten a little out of hand. I don't know. So decades from now, hopefully decades from now, right. when... You, if I have a, if I have CT problems, yeah. I know what I signed on for. Okay, um, you're not going to see me sign on for an NFL concussion lawsuit. I can promise you that. Will you donate your brain to science? Uh, I yeah, I mean, I definitely don't want to be buried. So I think I'm like, I think I'm going to be cremated. I think. Okay, um, but uh, I would do that. I would do that. Yeah, I, I would not be opposed to that at all. And how about your kids playing football? Uh, I have no problem with it. I'm not going to push my little boy to play football. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think my little girl is going to be asking to play. Um, but maybe you never know. I know you're right. You never know. Uh, she doesn't really seem to care about sports in general. Um, I will. I will not have no problem with my little boy playing football. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, I hope he plays basketball or baseball. I mean, go be a pitcher. Go be a first baseman. That's what I should have done. What the hell was I thinking? <laughs> uh, but but I think that's another thing that goes not talked about with the concussion uh, conversation. Yeah, the statistics show that young kids in soccer. Are very, it's exactly equal, if not more, concussions in soccer for young kids than football. But nobody wants to talk about that because it's just not sexy. But uh, I just think it's an interesting little tidbit. Would you let them play peewee? Because we've had people before tell us that right. they would let their kids play football in high school right. after they've already sort of like Developed play soccer, play you know baseball, play basketball, all that up until high school right. when, you know, everything sort of formed and then yeah. you can go take some hits. Yeah, I, I I would. I don't think I want my little boy playing football like in second, third grade. I would probably rather him grow up a little. Uh, I would also argue that, you know, fifth, sixth grade, I'm not even sure you can generate enough power to actually concuss little kids at that age. Maybe I'm wrong. I think it's more like... Uh, but- what the studies are showing, like getting sort of hit and then falling the way the that, like, falling, like the whiplash sort of thing, because right. the brain is still forming and the skulls aren't that, make makes sense. I don't know all the science behind it, but I know that they said like oh, it's you not don't so really? much. No, <laughs> me, not a scientist. Who would have thought <laughs> that it's just like them taking the hit and falling? You get similar like that sort of car accident whiplash. That right, I could see that. Yes, yeah, that's when I got some of my worst, you know, bell rung incidents is just when the back of your head hits the ground hard. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I don't think I'm going to be that overbearing parent that's going to do that. My, my little boy is, seems like he's going to be a psycho Sims like me, my father, my brother. So it's going to be pretty hard to stop him if he wants to do it. So speaking of your dad and your brother, what was it like growing up in your household? Uh, it was a lot of fun. I yeah. mean, my dad is, um, of course, my idol in so many ways. He's my best friend in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, he is my best friend. And, um, you know, it was a ton of great experiences and also growing up fast. I yeah. mean, you start to realize people treat you differently because they find out you're the son of Phil Sims or mm-hmm. you see the way they treat your dad. You see they treat him nice. And then as soon as he walks away, they go, he sucks. I like that guy better. Like, 
think. So you get to see a lot of that. Uh, you're a young kid waking up and you see the New York Post and it says like, hey, Phil Simms sucks or we need a new quarterback. Those are things that will make you grow up or see the big picture in a hurry, uh, but also had a ton of great experiences as well. I mean, waking up as an 8, 10-year-old kid and going, you know, I'm going to Giants Stadium today and my dad's the starting quarterback of the Giants and we're going to watch him play, you know, Troy Aikman and the Dallas Cowboys. Uh-huh. There's not a lot of things that can replace that feeling the adrenaline rush other than maybe playing the game your actual self so a lot of cool experiences and of course uh, yeah gave me some opportunities and made me grow up in a lot of ways so it's on a completely different level but my dad is a basketball referee back home I'm from Maryland right and when I sit in the stands and watch him ref I get really excited and it's awesome to see him running up and down the court and making the calls and then when you hear people yell you suck out of the stands it literally breaks my heart it's like someone stuck an arrow through my chest (laughs) right and I want to turn around and defend him and just be like you have no idea what you're talking Talking about, even though hypocritically, I was probably the girl in college who was like, "Hey, ref, get off your knees! You're blowing the game." You know what I mean? But I—that's my dad, you know. Right, sure. And you must feel that exact same way with your dad, especially with criticism that he gets. How did you react to that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I learned that I had to block it out. I mean, yes, I would be sitting in the giant stadium stands, and the people right around us—they realized we were this, you know, the Sims family, and mm-hmm. they were respectful. But you know, five rows back, did those people know? No, and there would certainly be like plenty of every game it didn't matter if he had like the best game ever yeah. there was going to be four or five plays where fans weren't going to be happy oh throw the ball how could you take the sack you suck you're a bum uh, so I just learned to de- develop very thick skin and then you also start to realize as you get older you know what these people don't have a fucking clue what's going on out here. So who cares what he says? Right. It could be Big Bird out there playing and he wouldn't know what the hell's going on. So I just started to put it in that context as well. Uh, and, you know, like I said, I think really in the end, it did a lot more good for me than bad. I mean, you know, uh, Chicago Bear game, 1987 opening game. I went to Chicago uh-huh. with my family. Uh, the Bears fans made me cry in the stands because they realized I was the Phil Simpson no. and they hounded me. And my dad was getting his butt whooped on the field that night too because that was the great Bears defense. The Giants had just won the Super Bowl, but he took a lot of hits. So between watching my dad get like knocked around and then having people behind me heckling me, even though I was seven years old, yeah, uh, yeah, those are interesting experiences to say the least. That's un- <laughs> Is that one of the worst experiences that you had? I would say that would be one of the worst ones. Yeah, that would be that would be pretty vivid. Or you know, even some like big losses that the, my dad might have had, and you're driving through the parking lot in Giant Stadium after the game, and you know you're driving slow because there's traffic and there's people walking and people yelling things at him at those instances. Yeah, they stick out. Those were some tough instances, but again, the the good far outweighs the bad. Did you ever have a regular football experience growing up, like where you just kind of went to a game and and you didn't get any sort of special treatment or no? Uh, yeah, I did. I did. Uh, more, I feel like, happened when my dad retired, mm-hmm. where I could get that, um, you know, like uh, early high school years, that thing where I'd maybe go to the game with my friends and my dad was not the quarterback. And then I could kind of blend in a little bit unless, you know, somebody finally put it together. But for the most part, yeah, there was a few games here and there where I could be a normal fan, a normal high school kid and just have fun and watch watch football but be honest the sweet treatment is way better than anything you can have in there see that's the other thing we are not a silver spoon family i sat right in the stands wow oh, were you saying like the sweet like the sweet? yeah yes i never sat in a sweet one game in my dad's whole career 15 really? years in the nfl never oh my God. i sat right i gotta take you some time it's really great yeah. <laughs> no, see, but I, I like that though yeah your dad's the starting quarterback the new york giants for 
however many years. Right. No, I know. I like it too. I'm just saying that I didn't expect it. Yes, you expect no. it just to protect you Well, this you day least. and age, you're right. In this day and age, it definitely doesn't happen. But yeah. the Giants didn't play, pay players back in the 80s. Uh, and of course, the money wasn't the same either. So, and my dad's old school, grew up on a farm in Kentucky. So right. he'd be like, no, you're going to sit your ass out there in the stands. I ain't paying that money to for you to sit you in go, the suite. Did you go to no- games in November and December at the Meadowlands when it was like negative 30 because of the wind? Manned up. Oh, I, yeah. I had many wow. games in December Good where yep, I would put on the, the snowsuit and sit in the stands on a 10-degree yeah. day and just be like, okay, this saw, is what we're doing for the next three I hours. I saw the Giants play the Ravens back like the last season of the Meadowlands. And right. It was when Rex Ryan was still on defense it, for the Ravens. For Baltimore, right. And it was one of the coldest experiences of my <laughs> life. I was just in New Hampshire when it was negative 30, and right. I still think I was colder when I was at the Meadowlands that day. Meadowlands just is cold. Frigid. Close to the water, that damp oh breeze. God. It can be bone So he gets, he gets all the respect for going to see his dad play oh, for as sure. a little kid, especially when it was that cold. Thanks, hey, listen, thanks. I love it. Who are you close with on the Giants? Now, um, I don't, I don't know if there's anybody I'm overly close with. Or like, growing up with someone like an uncle yeah, to you, well, or like you know. Yes, uh, a lot of guys growing up. I mean, Lawrence Taylor was always great. His son was always around the the team, so I was always you know playing with his son TJ Taylor. Uh, but I would say like my dad was really close to Jim Bird. I don't know if you remember that name. Jim Bird was a nose tackle for them. Uh, he had a son that was a similar age to me. Went to high school here in North Jersey, so we were at high school at the same time. But mm-hmm. uh, those type of guys, I would say more than not, um, those are some of the great Lawrence Taylor stories. Lawrence was famous for calling my house in the like 4.30 in the morning uh-huh. and he had been out all night and now he was driving by our hometown and he was going to call my dad for a change of clothes. He wanted his golf clubs and then he would want my dad to make a golf tee time for him at his country club. <laughs> and like, uh, yeah, I can remember a few times where I would look out my window real early in the morning and there was Lawrence Taylor getting changed in my driveway and like <laughs> grabbing my dad's golf clubs and like feeling them out. Like, yeah, these will work and like, <laughs> yep. So those are still still great stories of my mom answering, "Hi, Lawrence. Oh, yeah, he's right here. It's four thirty. We're sleeping." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is he the biggest character, you think, from your dad's playing days? Uh, yes. I mean, I would say Lawrence Taylor is one of the biggest characters in the history of football. There's no way he could survive this day and age. Yeah. I mean, there's no way. Social media would have ruined his career because, yeah, uh, yeah he was famous for out all night. Um, he had a, uh, as the story goes, and I, Belichick's told me this, my father's told me this, he had a sleeping bag in the defensive meeting room. So he literally slept at the feet of Bill Belichick. <laughs> All, because they knew he had been out all night, and of course he was a phenomenal player, and they would just be like, you know what, let's just put the sleeping bag here, let him get some sleep, so at least he can practice later today, and that's what they do it. And like you know, from the stories I've always heard, it's like Bill would like, Lawrence, you got that with this, and like Lawrence would like roll over and be like, yep, got it, and like go right back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Who from your playing days are you good buddies with that that are kind of characters? Yes, well, I would say the biggest character I was around and that I'm still friendly with is Warren Sapp. Uh-huh. Uh, Warren Sapp. Is um, it was an eye-opening experience, especially yep. as a rookie coming into the NFL. My rookie year in the NFL was the year after Tampa had beaten the Raiders in the Super Bowl, so they were yep. on top of the world. Mm-hmm. They certainly didn't need me to make them any better. Um, and Sap was yes, my rookie haze, and like also a great show me the way kind of guy too. We had some great personalities on the team. Simeon Rice, John Lynch, Rondé Barber, Derek Brooks, a lot of really good guys. But yeah. Sap was 
um, you know, famous, like the first time I ever met Sap, like Gruden goes, Hey, make sure you get in the, Hey man, get in the, get in the locker room. Make sure you go around, shake the hands of the veterans. That's how Gruden talks. That's my Gruden impression. <laughs> okay. Good one. Uh, I like and it. like, okay, cool. So I opened the door and I'm like, Oh man, there's Warren Sap. That's the first guy I want to meet. I stick out my hands. He goes, get the fuck out of my face. Don't even talk to me until you played in the game. Don't even fucking talk to me. <laughs> And you want to talk about like knocking the cool out of your walk. So yes, Warren Sapp. Uh, Do you think Gruden set you up? Probably. Yeah. He uh-huh. probably knew Warren or one of those guys was going to yeah. be like, shut the hell up, rookie. Uh, <laughs> so yes, he set me up. But yes, with Sapp, I always had to have a can of skull on me at all times. I had to carry his bags to his room, uh, way away games. He would usually throw $20 on the floor too. Like I was too big to pick it up. And I'd be like, I'll pick this up. <laughs> uh, so uh, a lot of good stories like that. And uh, yes, he took like, I don't give a fuck to a whole new level. Some of this experiences I saw with Warren Sapp. Like I thought I was around some players like that in college uh-huh. but you realize once you get to the nfl and you see guys are like making more than five million dollars a year and they're really good players and like warren Sapp could have walked in three minutes before the game started and they'd be like all right just get dressed up we're gonna start here in a few minutes and because like he would say some days when he'd walk in the locker room he'd go what are they gonna do bench me <laughs> i'm gonna get two sacks today they ain't gonna bench me and we're like yep you're you're right they're not gonna bench you so <laughs> he was, had a lot of power was the dip and you carrying the bags was that your rookie hazing or is there a yeah no that right? and a lot of four-letter words no that was really my rookie hazing yes for the most part yeah nothing like physical did they do to me yeah it was just that that kind of stuff uh you know calling me you know all kinds of words that yeah was, that's what they were good at you mentioned social media yeah and how it would ruin guys now nowadays right. and there's a lot that people benefit from social media, reaching out to their fans and right. having it be uh, a good thing. And then there's obviously a lot of downside. How do you see it? Good or bad? Uh, I think there's a very fine balance. Uh, I think it's more bad than good. I think overall, uh, I think too many guys are a little too into their brand right now. Yeah. And, oh, I got to get, you know, 20 tweets out today. Who the hell cares? I don't know. I don't know. Me, I just don't think I'm that cool, nor do I think my thoughts are that cool that I have to share them with everybody all day long. Uh I mean, like, I hate Twitter and that crap. I have a Twitter account, but I only, Bleacher Report just sends my videos out. You're, like, not going to see any personal tweets from me. You never tweet? Never. I haven't. And Instagram photos, you never do that either? I don't even have Instagram. I didn't have Do you have an agent who's pressing you to do that stuff? Because now that's big for the agent to be like, well, if you want to become a big star, you know, blah, blah, blah. Bleacher Report does a little bit, but but they kind of take care of it. So Bleacher Report kind of takes care of it. Like I said, if I make a video, it gets put into my Twitter. Twitter and then it gets tweeted out that way like automatically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's a very fine line. I do think there's a number of players who have lost their way because they're worried about being at a fashion show and doing a commercial and doing an appearance. And then they go, oh, wait, uh, I'm not playing my position very good this year. Well, yeah, because you were fucking at every event in the world in the offseason. Of course, you didn't do shit. Yeah. You didn't do anything to get better. And I think that's where a lot of guys lose sight. Like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. Uh, Cam Newton, they're worried about football every day they wake up. I'm just taking some guys off the top of my head that I know are professionals. Yeah. Uh, they know that at the end of the day, they got to do that job first, and then the other stuff will come where there's a lot of athletes this day and age that think they have to do the other thing first, and then I'll play and I'll still be awesome, and it's just not that easy. Do you That's think- my biggest criticism of Carmelo Anthony. I think he's a good dude. I think he's a good player. Right. I loved him in Denver. I, you know, yes, he's selfish, but I think to me, it's he's all about the 
the money. He's all about his brand. He doesn't necessarily care about winning a championship. He likes being in New York and being a star. And if I'm a fan of the Knicks, that really bothers me. It's He's not team first. Um, and even though I'm not a, a fan of the Knicks, so for me, I like it because I like kind of rooting for guys randomly around yeah, yeah. the NBA. Right. Uh, but if I'm a fan, that that's a huge problem for me. Uh, yeah, I think it is a little scary too. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, like it, I find it very refreshing when like a rookie comes in about like Amari Cooper. You guys know Amari Cooper from yeah. the Oakland Raiders? Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, I find him so refreshing. I covered some of their games and went to training camp. He could care less about talking to the media. He's not going to tweet anything. He just wants to play football. He really wants to, like, I, we had to interview him, and I really feel like he wanted to, like, beat me up while I was doing the interview. His <laughs> answers were one word, uh-huh. but he just wanted to be like, hey, the hell with you. I want to go out to practice. And that is refreshing to me. But yeah, it's a very, you know, uh, like Odell Beckham Jr. right now. I think he is on a fine line right now. Is mm-hmm. he's, he's everywhere. Got the head and shoulders commercial. You better play and, yeah. really good if you're going to live that life because yep. they're not going to give you the benefit of the doubt when start, stuff starts to go downhill. They're going to be like, well, maybe we should cut him. Like a Victor Cruz. Victor <laughs> Cruz was Odell Beckham Jr. just four, to eight, four years ago. Right. Um, now, he hasn't played well. He's been hurt. And um, he's doing, I feel like, a lot of public appearances to stay relevant instead of just, I want to be like, Victor, the heck with all the appearances. Just focus on your body. Get healthy play awesome football this year, and then everyone's going to want you to come appear at everything they do. I think Victor's a rare case because he has this weird love for fashion that kind of is ingrained in him, and it wasn't so much forced on him, like, oh, push our brand, push our brand. But he also, his body has changed a lot, too, so I feel like he also is doing kind of what he should, but you would know more than I would. Yeah, I I don't know all the specifics there. I was just saying there's one guy that does jump out to me as far as being in that. Yeah, I understand he does like fashion, and that's a very good point. Like, I understand all of that, but at the same time, you have time to do that right. after football. But don't yeah. you think they've also sort of acknowledged that f- your career in football is very finite and they want to use 30, that as a at, launching yeah, pad? I mean, I, at, I, if you're retired by 34, 35, especially at like a skill position like wide receiver, what are you going to do? Yeah, so I, they're, ki- they're kind of using their fame now to set themselves up for in the future because you might not get that big contract and you know, hopefully Victor Cruz is back and playing at the same level. But if that injury was career over right he's done enough to sort of say i can be relevant in another venture and i think guys are seeing that yeah some of them go over the top yes with the social media but if you look at a guy like ocho cinco who retired a few years he's still relevant because he's made him he's put himself out there right and he tweets all the time and he's using this platform to sort of get himself other opportunities he hosts podcasts he does shows he does stuff with he does a lot of things all over now because he sort of saw this as another avenue to I'm a good football player now, right. but in a few years, I'm not going to be relevant anymore. Yeah, I, I listen. Like I said, it's not that I'm like totally against it, um, uh, but I just think it's. I do think it's a little overboard, and I think there's a lot more instances the other way than the positive ones, like right. you're talking about with Ocho Cinco. Yeah, that's one that maybe has worked out. Hopefully, Victor Cruz will work out as well. But yeah. I think we could look at 50 other instances where we go, they were trying to do this and they got nothing out of the professional part of it or out of their football career because they were all over the map trying to do everything instead of just focusing on one thing. You were talking on CBS Sports Radio about how you weren't paid in college but you were given $100 handshakes. Oh, no, $100 handshakes. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel like if kids were paid in college, this would fix a lot of what's going on in the NFL? No. 
Do you think kids should be paid in college? Well, um, yeah. And what I, I mean by fixing in the NFL yeah. is guys chasing money as soon as they get in the league or leaving college early to go get money or, you know, trying to build up their fortune. Gotcha. If they started that earlier and realized that, you know, it wasn't just a million dollars all of a sudden and they don't know what's going on. They have never had this kind of money before. They don't know what to do with it. Yes. If they've been earning it slowly and it's more of a build-up process, you know, that could help with their finances later on in life. I... This is a deep subject. It's a good subject. Uh, I, I think, you know, college, I would like to see them take care of the, especially the football players a little bit better because it is such a huge moneymaker. All the athletes deserve to be, uh, I think, helped out a little bit. But football is hands down the number one moneymaker as far as a uh, a sports entity in college sports. By the so, way, did you get killed? Were you saying that because you got killed for saying that, for admitting that? Well, oh yeah, because people, like some people were like, oh, they should do an investigation in Texas. And I want to be like... Uh, you know, at, you could take like southeastern, northwest Louisiana state and they're getting a hundred dollar handshake. It's going on everywhere. It's stupid for even people to try to police it. But it's not an unspoken rule that you're not as a player supposed to talk I about? I don't really care. It's a stupid rule if it is. I okay. don't know. It's just stupid. I mean, okay. it's going on at Harvard. It's going on at Yale. It's going on at Texas. It's going on at USC. Alumni are going to take it into their own hands. They think like, what do they think? Like uh, Nick Saban can control every alumni that walks through the campus of Alabama and like, yeah. stay away from our play. No, it's impossible. So some of that stuff I think is just so stupid. That's why I was saying it on the radio because I think it's so ridiculous that we talk about it. It's going on at every level of college football, college basketball. Of course, you're getting little perks. How I got my $100 handshake was just an alumni. He wanted me to sign a few jerseys on like a random day in the middle of the week. Uh And he had like 10 football jerseys. I signed them. And he goes, hey, I really appreciate you doing that. Here, this is for you. And I looked down. I was like, man, that's a few hundred dollars. That's awesome. Thanks a lot. I'll let me know if you need it again. Yeah. And I walked away. So if the NCAA wants to investigate that, the, the, don't they have better things to do? I don't right. know. But you're not going to stop that, is my point. Uh, I don't know if you can control the the way players... I wish colleges would make players better uh, money conscious. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know... I don't even know where I want to go with this. It's so deep. I guess I, I guess it was, as far as the money issue, okay, you're not going to set up these kids' lives with college football money. I just they should have enough money to where they have room, board, and they can eat like comfortably. Like Arian Foster was complaining about a few years ago, mm-hmm. he would have nights where he'd be like, "Man, I need to eat, and I I don't have enough dinner given to me, and I have no money." Right. Uh, and people go, "Oh, well, they have a mess hall." Yeah. Well, these guys are not your normal people, right. football players. These are b- above average men who have been active all day. I would say most guys need two dinners. They might eat dinner at six thirty and then be like ten o'clock. Be like, you know, I need another substantial snack right now. Yeah. Uh, and so that is like inexplicable to me. Uh, as far as players, once they get to the NFL, there just needs to be more college coaching, NFL coaching about what to do with your money. But at the same time, it's very hard to do. You're a poor kid from, let's just say, the hood, the Bronx here in New York, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, you get a million dollars. Everybody goes, he gets a million dollars his rookie year. Everybody goes, man, you got a million dollars. You're set for life. Are you? I mean, really? That's such a stupid comment to say. I mean, first of all, half of it's going to the government. You buy yourself a car. You probably want to buy your mom a new apartment or a house. That's going to be another few hundred thousand dollars. All of a sudden, you're back to being freaking broke again. But everybody loves to be critical of the athlete when they blow their money. Right. Oh, how are they going to do that? These crazy athletes, they're crazy. I think it's so unfair that that is always portrayed on athletes. It actually drives me crazy 
at times when, when, when I see it. Well, meanwhile, if you go through any of these guys who have this criticism, go through their financial statements, I'm sure you would see one or two mistakes throughout everywhere, their life. Everywhere, yeah. everywhere. If you gave uh, the 23-year-old in Wall Street $5 million, I bet you he'd do a lot of crazy, stupid crap. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Also, I mean, is there any other profession in the world where... You're the best at what you do the first three years of your career, but you know what? You're not allowed to go out and be a free agent. You know, I, I want to see some of the doctors or the people at Goldman Sachs go through it. Go, you know, you're our number one trader at Goldman Sachs, but you know, we're gonna franchise tag you, or <laughs> we're not gonna let you be a free agent. So you still got to get paid like one of the low level employees. Yeah, that doesn't go on in any other profession in sports no. other than football or in the world. In the world, yeah, right. the system is really messed up. It's messed up, but it's also what makes it great. And that's why, like, in the playoffs come, players want to kill each other because other than, like, the big stars, yeah, Peyton Manning was getting paid a million dollars a game. When he gets to the playoffs, he's taking a huge pay cut. Uh-huh. He's, it's only going to be, like, a $30,000 check. But for the guys who are making the minimum, that's big money. And each week you succeed in the playoffs, you get a little bit more money. And that can make somebody's year. And so those no guaranteed contracts make you have to perform week in, week out in the NFL, no guarantees. And then the extra playoff money, uh, it's what makes football, you know, what, can't watch, can't miss TV or whatever the hell you say? So you were a player and transitioned to a broadcaster. Did you form a lot of these opinions after you played football while you were broadcasting or you had these throughout your entire career? I've always been this way. Uh-huh. Um, like I had some coaches who were always like, you're going to be on a radio show host. Most of my friends in the NFL or coaches told me I should never be in the media because they said I, they thought I was too honest and uh-huh. that I would like ruin everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the only way I know to be. But people love your honesty. Well, it's the only way I know to be. So I ain't changing. I yeah. just, I'm not smart enough to keep track of my bullshit or my lies. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, it's just the way it's going to have to be. Um, yeah, I just think it's always kind of the way I've been. And um, this is, I'm a huge sports fan. I mean, down to like, I'm watching like the women's Australian final four, you know, like it's semifinals, finals. Like I love sports. Good for you. Yeah. At least someone's watching. So that's how I am. Um, and You're yeah, a big tennis I, fan? I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I just always been that way. So I, I always knew this was a possibility for me. With all the criticism that comes along with your dad's job as a broadcaster, right. how do you handle that? Because he gets a lot of hate. I know he does. I think, Unfounded, I think. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. People have their opinions. But that's the way it is for broadcasters in general. I mean, they, even when I do games, you're like, oh, it, it sounds like you don't really like that team you were talking about like what i'm best friends with like 10 people on that team i in fact i was rooting for the team you think i don't right. want to win uh-huh. uh so that always goes on in the broadcasting oh phil sims doesn't like our team like denver fans always used to say that to my dad when well, Mike, they had a petition sign oh, right and i was just hilarious because they were like 13 and one they're like 15 and one when my dad announces games and then to add to that um like People used to say that to me, especially like when Mike Shanahan was there. Like the Shanahans are great family friends. I would say my one of my dad's better friends in the whole world. Uh-huh. He was rooting for the Broncos, and yet people still, even at that time, thought, "Oh, he doesn't like the Broncos. He has something out against us." But I don't know what the criticism comes from him or Joe Buck. It's ridiculous. I think my dad is just—he's extremely nice. He tries to do it in a right way. He's never controversial, uh, but. Uh, I don't know. There's nobody that works harder. I mean, he's done more games in the last two years than every other announcer has done in the last five. Yeah. He's broken the record two years in a row for the amount hard. of games announced. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't care. What I mean, oh, what social media doesn't like my dad? Like, fuck off. I don't care. 
Well, it seems like you care a little. Well, it just is so stupid. Like yeah. the criticisms. I can go on about this topic about a lot of things in sports. Like yeah. Peyton Manning can't win the big game. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He can't win the big game. <laughs> right. I know they were so awesome all those years because he couldn't win the big game. Yeah. I just, I get sick of some of those storylines. Is it worse hearing the criticism of your dad now or when you were a kid? When he was playing football. When I was a kid. I yeah. took him more personally. Yeah, like you could say whatever you want of me or whatever, but if you're going to like talk about my dad and his football career, then you better be ready because I'm coming at you. But you did, but, then you went to your dad's induction into the Giants Ring of Honor. Right. So that was nice to see. Yes. Sort of, everyone, like I remember growing up, I would hear from my full family the criticisms of Sims and I was like five or six years old. Right. But then as it went on, yes. people were just like, right. man, I like I'd, I'd kill to have it's Chris Sims. I'd, I'd kill to have Phil Sims back. It's it's pretty funny like yes you're right like if my dad missed the playoffs four years in a row like Eli Manning I would like to see how that would have gone back in the 80s right. Right. I mean they were calling for his ass a year after missing the playoffs after he just had like the best Super Bowl performance ever so um, hey some guys just seem to be that and my dad is never one to like fight back or make stands like that he's always kind of been an easy guy to jump on and I don't think he really cares either so just that added with it but yeah I don't really understand the criticism always uh, but it is what it is, and I don't think he's losing any sleep over it. What did you learn the most from watching your dad growing up? Uh, work ethic. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to be good at anything, you're going to have to work at it. And I was always, you know, always enamored with his work ethic. Uh, I would always ask him about other athletes, and I started to realize, like, more times or not, the ones he said good, he said were really good workers. Like, mm-hmm. uh, so that jumped out to me, I think, at a very early age. Like, oh, okay. And that's the way I try to approach my job now, like with Bleacher Report and, you know, um, I do in-depth, you know, game stuff all season long. I do free agency. I do the draft. I mean, I'm inundated with all that. And I'm competitive with myself to know, like, I want to know. I want to be right. And if you're going to want to have those aspirations, you better work at it. One of the big things that was going on recently, the Combine, you said you went to as a player and as a coach. Right. And the thing that people love to talk about are the Combine questions. What are the Combine questions? What did you get that was kind of outrageous? I mean, they're so stupid, a lot of it. I mean, all the tests they make you take, yeah. um, you know. Just, did you take the Wonderlick? I did. What was your score? Uh, so I took it once illegally. Uh, a team gave it to me at, at Texas. I'm not going to say the team, but they gave it to me. I got a 27 that time. Wow. And then I took it at the Combine. I think I got a 23 or 24. I just got an unlucky with the, some of the vocab words. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what really got me. I just the, the better score I knew the vocab words, the lesser score I just had some words on there. I was like, I don't know what these mean. Um, but for people out there who don't know how the Wonderlick goes, it's 60 questions, 12 minutes. Uh, no one answers all 60. And each question gets progressively harder. So uh, yeah, I was right there in the, the mid-20s. Um, but yeah, some of the questions you're asked on some of these psychological tests, if you could be a cat or a dog, which one do you choose? And you're just like, what? <laughs> I mean, they must have, some of them must have thought I was crazy because I am the kind of person I think, as you see now, where I was like, this is so fucking stupid. And I just was like, I'm going to circle B for the next hundred questions. I have other things I would want to do. It was multiple choice. Yeah. Some of them were. Yes. Um, But like what kind of cat or dog would you be? It'd be like German shepherd, corgi. Or just a cat or or a dog. But then what's even crazy is they're going to ask you the same question like a hundred questions later. I guess maybe to see if you answer it the right. I don't know what they're trying to do. See if you're schizophrenic or bi- I don't know what. But regardless, yes, a lot of that is crazy. Um, and I like that players might make a stand and not take the wonder lick. Yeah. You know, I, the, the NFL loves to find out. players when they do things wrong. But, man, the NFL releases information they that's not supposed to be released. Uh, oh, we'll work on that and fix it. They are so hypocritical. It drives me crazy. Yeah. You mentioned that um, 
your family is really close. You guys obviously are a big football family. Your brother now. Right. Uh, I was reading, you were saying that he's having a little bit of trouble, you think, because of his last name, you know, hooking onto a team and kind of being there for, for the long run, right. getting franchises to to recognize him, right. not because of his skill, but because of who he is. Yes, I, I do think that, I mean, that goes on in the NFL, whether people want to like it or not. It's just the fact of the matter. I mean, I've had teams tell me, hey, we really like your brother, but, you know, our GM or our coach is just... He's a little, your last name Sims, your dad's the head guy for CBS, you're in the media. They don't necessarily uh, want you to get the inside look on how they're running their organization or their team, even though it's crazy to think that they think my dad's going to say anything. He's making a lot of money. I don't think he's going to jeopardize his career to to say something like that. Uh, But yes, it does go on. Uh, Like I said, I had teams tell me that. My brother, all you got to do, go back and, so my brother's with Atlanta right now. Mm -hmm. He's in a great spot, which I'm very happy about. He was on their practice squad this past year. But but um, go back and watch my brother's preseasons the last few years with the New York Jets. Uh, he's played phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, we not, did. We actually, we loved him. It's phenomenal. No, it's it's we phenomenal. The Anybody else did what my brother did, they would be talked about being at least a backup quarterback. Yeah. But the Jets were not going to give him that chance. First of all, he came there the same year as Geno Smith. Mm-hmm. Geno Smith was the second pick in the history of J- the John Isaac um, regime. Mm-hmm. He wasn't going to have a free agent from that year come in there and outshine his second pick of his regime. That's the politics and bullshit of football. Right. Like a team like New England wouldn't do that. Right. New England would be like, oh, the undrafted free agent's better? Oh, we want to win this week? We'll play him. Where the Jets do shit like that, and then they go, whoa, well, I can't believe we didn't make the playoffs. <laughs> Shocker. I mean, they will screw up a wet dream at times. Uh, they really will. <laughs> The Jets are one of the biggest disappointments of this year. Oh, they have to be. People are excited, and I understand the excitement, but they were one of the five most talented teams in football this year. The fact that they were not in the playoffs is a tragedy. You're on the doorstep of the playoffs, and all you have to do is beat a Rex Ryan-led Bills team. That's it. Or a Houston Texans TJ Yates team. Yeah, exactly. Before that. Um, But yes, it goes on whether people like it or not. It's just part of it. I know people gave me a lot of crap, like, oh, only reason he's gotten a chance. No, that's not true. My brother has big-time talent. Whether he can play the position, we'll see. But uh, his physical ability is is special. Well, good luck to him. Yeah, Thank we you. watched him. We've seen a bunch of his stuff during the preseason, I'm and right. we really I like know him. Jets fans who were calling for him. I know. Yeah, there was sure. a ton, ton. Even when I go on Boomer and Carton or any of those radio shows, there are people always calling him like, I don't understand what they did with your brother. And it's just it's part of the politics of football. There's a lot of idiots in front offices in the NFL and football. Yeah. People think it because they have a fancy business card that says the NFL and it has the team logo on it. But most of front offices in football are made up of people who have no experience in football and really have the job because their dad knows the owner or their dad knows the coach or their dad knows the GM. I saw it even in New England. How'd you get this job? Oh, my dad's blah, blah, blah's doctor. Oh, really? Have you? Did you ever play football? Nope. Were you a coach or any assistant grad in college? Anything? Nope. But you're sitting next to me with the New England Patriots, and he'll probably be calling the shots somewhere in 10 years, and it's just crazy. That it's unfortunate. Really it's one of the crazy things about football. Front office, coaches, if you don't, it's recycling. And if you don't have a lot of money, it's really hard to make it as a coach or uh, a front office guy in the NFL because they pay you nothing. So if you don't come from money and have like a parents that can maybe support you a little bit, mm-hmm. very hard to succeed. Which is probably why you see a lot of the discrimination and stuff going on in the you, front offices. You think? Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's where the root of it is. Exactly yeah. right. 
Um, so you are full time at Bleacher Report, and you did some games with CBS this week. What's next for you, career wise? Uh, I don't know. I love my Bleacher Report job. I am uh, just signed a new contract there, so you know I'm the lead NFL analyst. I love doing that because I get to be a poor man's GM, except I don't have to work you know 18 hours a day and uh-huh. do that. So that's great. Uh, it's a great balance. Uh, and then really, I'm hoping um, I'll get the next radio show available. That's what I would like to do. Uh, I like calling the games for the NFL and CBS and doing all that. I'm not sure it's my favorite thing, mm-hmm. as I've told you don't think even if I was the best announcer in the world they would ever let me be the number one or two team because of my my career just wasn't good enough uh, but I do enjoy it but I like Bleacher Report and the radio probably more than anything okay cool well we'll look out for that and uh, good luck on that Thanks. we end every podcast with uh, us both telling an embarrassing story Oof. So I'm going to go first, and then uh, you're going to follow up. So last week, I told an embarrassing story from middle school, which was basically uh, me getting crushed by a boy. I've got another one from high school. I've I've been doing this my entire career. This is what I'm the best at. (laughs) So I had a crush on this boy, and... um, Everyone knew it. The whole school knew. And my best friends were like, you know what? Uh, I I heard he's going to ask you out. Like, I think that this is really going to happen. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, when? And they were like, well, I don't know, maybe later on this week. So I'm sitting in one of my classes and I get a note passed to me. And it's like, I I can't say his name because we're friends now. But uh, (laughs) let's just say Johnny. Johnny is going to ask you out later this week. Make sure you're here in this class on Friday at, you know, 2.30. And I was like, oh, my God, amazing, super excited. So Friday comes around, and I am so sick to my stomach. I can't even get out of bed. I'm so nervous. I'm, like, shaking. My hands are sweaty. And I tell my mom that I'm too sick to go to school. I'm like, I have to skip school. Right. So instead, I stay home, and I watch soap operas with my grandmother folding laundry. And Monday morning comes around and my girlfriends are like, because we didn't have like cell phones back then where we like texted each other, right? right? So like I, I had gotten a couple calls from them from our house phone that I just ignored because I was still so nervous. And Monday morning comes around and my mom forces me to go to school and I walk in and everyone's like, what happened? You were here on Friday. And I was like, I know. Like, oh, what happened? Did Johnny show up? Blah, blah. And they're like, no, Johnny doesn't like you. It was your friends being a dick you didn't get a, like a love note from Johnny. He d- he doesn't even know you exist. It's just your friends like who would just wanted to be assholes to you. That is really mean. And I'm like, oh my God. You have you have like I the skipped, worst friends. I know, I have bad friends. No, it, they're, they were just joking around. But I skipped school on Friday. What, what and year got in high a, school are we talking? Freshman year. Freshman year, yeah. okay. I was a very naive kid growing yeah, up. Yeah, that's right. I, I still have naive tendencies for sure. But um, uh, th- my freshman year was a tough one. Yeah, that's tough. I got a, I got a couple of, of situations where... Uh, would be good to write into those magazines, you know, uh, you tell yes. your embarrassing stories or for a podcast if you happen to have one. <laughs> you do have one. I do. You're that girl, aren't you? That's right. I am that girl. <laughs> All right. What is your embarrassing story? Oh, gosh. I have good. You know, my freshman year was similar. Uh, I did have some issues there. You, when you started talking about that, I started, stories started coming through my head because I was a freshman quarterback who played varsity and I had a lot of seniors who didn't like that and they had issues with me. But I think. First of all, it's really hard to embarrass me in general now. I mean, when you throw a interception on national TV in front of 70,000 people, <laughs> nothing really can top that. Yeah. So, I mean, you could pull my pants down in Broadway right now, and I would be like, okay, so it's not as bad as when I threw the interception in that game. Uh, but I think the biggest one is actually was getting my pants pulled down. Um, I was going into seventh grade. Uh-huh. A lot of my friends in my neighborhood were a year older than me. I grew up in North Jersey. I am, as you could see, as white as they come. I was <laughs> a late bloomer. And 
in North Jersey, as you can imagine, the Sopranos and all that, we have Johnny Italian everywhere. We'll just say Johnny because uh-huh. you went with Johnny too. Yep. Uh, Johnny Italian's everywhere, who, of course, matured a little quicker than I did. Well, I had a friend at a pool party going into seventh grade who pulled my pants down when I was like standing on the dive board, diving board, and I had no pubic hairs. <laughs> I was still like a bear bunny down there, completely bare. And that... Uh, I realized I was behind before that. So I was probably a hair self-conscious. But of course, people laughed. There was girls there. They were like, oh, he's got no hair down there. Because that was the cool thing. You got to have pubes in eighth grade. Uh, so that would be one of my more embarrassing moments that when I look back, I go, oh, that was a pretty good one. Yeah, I was pretty embarrassed after that. Like I remember walking in the house being like, what the hell just happened? Then I had to like go into another room and compose myself for a second and be like, okay, it's not the worst. And I went out and faced everybody. Those middle school slash early high school years are some, some of the ones, worst right? yeah, yes. ever. Awkward growing phases. Chris, thank you so much for being here. Thank I really appreciate me. it. it. I know we got fun. a late start, but uh, I really appreciate you waiting and, and hanging out. Joey, thank you. Thanks for helping out. Kyle, thank Yo, you. Joey. Abiel, nice work. And uh, let's go get a snack. All right, let's do it.